Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, along with Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast, we'll talk to Red Wings prospect Riley Sawchuk from Mount Royal University in Calgary. He's trying to become the 20th Canadian university hockey player to play in Detroit. But first, Ted, the NHL trade deadline is over. One of the busiest trade deadlines in NHL history. The Red Wings traded Philip Ronick on Wednesday, Tyler Bertuzzi on Thursday, and Jacob Verona and Oscar Sunquist on Friday. And now they head into weekend games with the Islanders and Flyers five points out of the playoffs. So, Ted, what did you make of what happened these last few days? And how do you think the Wings look moving forward? Well, I mean, have to, I mean, we heard what Steve Eiserman said today. Evidently, you know, in his mind, this team probably wasn't good enough to compete in the, compete in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, those sounds like those two games in Ottawa were a big turning point for him. He just didn't like the way that those two games transpired. He felt there were some weaknesses in some of those in some of the areas and. I think he was willing to wait at wait it out, and maybe had they won one or two, those two one or two of those games, maybe something, maybe things would have been somewhat different. But sure sounded Mark like he was intent on selling off people like Bertuzzi and mm-hmm. some of the people that they weren't probably going to re-sign. So I don't know. Maybe I guess I'm not surprised, but to a certain extent, I was. Uh, I don't know. I thought maybe you roll the dice with this roster and see if you can make the playoffs. Heck, they still could. I mean, let's let's mm-hmm. let's be honest. I mean, they're not that far away, and they really didn't have Tyler Bertuzzi all season. They definitely didn't have Jacob Verana all year. Uh, now Ronick and Sunkfist are going to be losses, but it's still a pretty competitive roster, and it's been a roster that's kind of had like a chip on its shoulder all year. So mm-hmm. I'll be. Interested to see these last five or six weeks, how they do. I mean, maybe it's a kind of a challenge for them to prove Iserman and a lot of other people wrong mm-hmm. that they are a playoff team. Ted, let's hear now from Iserman. And here's your question earlier today about his deadline strategy. How difficult was it of a decision to be a little bit more of a seller than a buyer than I guess at this point today? Uh, well, I was not going to be a buyer under any circumstances, Ted. So that that not at the, not this year. And if I was buying, so to speak, it was going to be for players that were going to be here, uh, younger guys that fit the time frame. So um, the decision really, uh, you know, our road trip out west, um, you know, and and having a good road trip kind of puts you in. You know, we spend time. Uh, prior to the deadline, coming up with a plan and preparing. The, the win streak prior to the deadline, if anything, probably gave food for thought, delayed some things to, to kind of see where we were, um, but ultimately kind of stuck to the plan um, with what we had in place. And, and that uh, uh, in general was um, keep our young players, look at opportunities, uh, maybe to make a trade uh, whatever a team was trying to do to see if there was a fit. Uh, and then ultimately 
decide on any of our pending UFAs, uh, the guys that we couldn't sign or wouldn't be able to sign, um, or, or for whatever reason might not be prepared to sign them at this point, to, uh, if we got reasonable to return, I was to move them for future assets. There's Steve Eiserman talking about the team's time frame and coming up with a plan prior to the deadline. He said the success on the road trip, like you said, Ted, probably gave him food for thought and delayed some things. And Ted, you were at those Ottawa games and looking back when the Senators ran roughshod over the wings, how bad was it? And like you said, would Bertuzzi and Ronick still be here? Bertuzzi was an unrestricted free agent and Eisenman didn't think he could sign him, but right. it didn't sound like he was going to be, it didn't sound like he was going to be very hopeful. That's for sure. You mm-hmm. know? What was it like though? Those two games, because as Steve Eisman said in the press conference, those were two of the biggest games in his four year history here, a playoff style atmosphere. And yet they definitely failed miserably. How bad was it? What did you see Ted? I was impressed by Ottawa, Mark. I really mm-hmm. was. I mean, let's face it, the Wings were definitely the second best team on the ice, though, both those nights. Uh, I was very, I think Ottawa, especially now with adding Jacob Chikrin, they could be a very intriguing team here this last month and a half. Uh, if they could get on a roll, which I think they could, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they claim one of those two wild card spots. Wings were outplayed. I mean, mm-hmm. they really were in every area. Uh, Frankly, I was a little surprised. I thought they'd come away with at least a split. And, uh, well, they weren't even close. I mean, it was, I mean, they were manhandled. And, well, obviously, mm-hmm. it was the final nail in the coffin, I guess, in Eiserman's thinking. And he, you know, definitely was going to be a seller here. I never, I miss, I probably miss, I shouldn't, I I'd phrased that question to him wrong. I mean, most people knew, obviously, he wasn't going to be a seller. Okay. But I think maybe there was some thought that he would just stand pat. Right, and, right. Um, That's what I thought, Ted. But that wasn't going to happen, obviously. And, I don't know, I mean, you did, they did accuse it. But here's another thing, Mark. I mean, the trades that he made, especially the Bertuzzi trade and more even, especially the Ronick trade. Right. How are you going to turn that down? Absolutely. I mean, a first and a second round draft pick for her, Philip Ronick. I mean, yes, please. And then the Bertuzzi, like he, like Eiserman said today, I think that's a fair trade for both sides. A first round pick next, next year and a fourth rounder in the future for a guy that I think he's, I think Tyler Bertuzzi, if, he, if healthy, is going to fit in really well with that Bruins mm-hmm. lineup. So, how can you say no? I mean, the, the return, especially for the Ronick trade, how can you say no? So you can understand where he's coming from, too. Sure. The news today about Billy Huso being hurt, and he's probably not going to play this weekend. Hmm. You know, that'll that's a fly in the ointment, obviously. That's going to be tough to overcome. But look at the schedule. There's a couple of Philadelphias there, a Chicago game, mm-hmm. Nashville and St. Louis, both teams, you know, that are rebuilding. There are some winnable games in there, so we'll have to wait and see how this transpires. Coming up next on the podcast, today's interview is with Red Wings prospect Riley Sawchuk. Joining us now is Riley Sawchuk, a 23-year-old center who the Red Wings signed last week to play in Grand Rapids for the rest of the season as well as next year with a guaranteed AHL contract. Riley, 
Welcome to the podcast. 19 Red Wings have played Canadian university hockey in franchise history. You played three years at Mount Royal University in Calgary. Just a few weeks ago, your team was knocked out of the playoffs by the University of Saskatchewan. So what's it been like since then, Riley, signing this free agent deal with the Wings and now playing a couple of games with the Griffins under coach Ben Simon? Uh, you know, it's it's been a bit of a whirlwind. The, the first few days uh, prior to signing, I, mm-hmm. I had some knowledge and um, very, very heavy conversations with my agent on on contracts. And um, on on the day that I did sign the contract and they did a press release, I, I don't think I've ever had my phone blow up like that. So <laughs> it, it was a very cool experience, but um, uh, humbling at the same time. Um, and then since then, moving into Grand Rapids here, it's it's been nothing but good so far, um, meeting all the players. And um, I'm really bad with names, so still trying to get to know a lot of the guys. <laughs> but uh, uh, they're very welcoming. And first few practices have been really good. And uh, going into my first, first professional games have been an, a surreal experience so far. Riley, before you went to Mount Royal University, you played four years in the Western Hockey League with tri-cities and in edmonton where you played with goalie sebastian cosa the wings first round pick sebastian was in his rookie season you were an overage forward if you could could you take us back to that overage season when mount royal coach bert gilling was recruiting you what did you know about the canadian university hockey system the pluses and minuses and how did those three years prepare you for this ahl opportunity to be honest, when I was when I was in my overage year, I I didn't know a whole lot about Canadian university hockey. Um, I I definitely knew about it, but didn't know the ins and outs of it. And um, the the one thing that really um, pressed me to go to Canadian uh, university, I guess, was the fact that playing in the WHL for every year you play, you earn a year of free schooling, which mm-hmm. is um, uh, a very good thing, I guess you could say, and. Um, so unfortunately, that last year in Edmonton was a, a big hit of COVID, and we didn't end up uh, getting to finish our playoff season there. So um, I was essentially um, moved towards going to university right away the next following year, um, as hockey was kind of shut down and nothing was mm-hmm. going on. So um, I had a, a good buddy of by the name of Nolan Uremko that I played with in Tri-City that uh, was currently at Mount Royal University and uh, was was really close with him. So he was the one that kind of kind of got me to come there. And I mean, my first year of Mount Royal University, we didn't get our uh, get to play, I guess, because of the COVID year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was mainly just training and practicing and all that stuff and and doing school online, which was which was very different as well. Um, and then, uh, within, within the two years that I actually got to play at Mount Royal, it was, it was a very good experience. I mean, in terms of, uh, learning to be more independent, living on my own, cooking for myself, things like that. Um, learning to make school a priority while still having a job of playing hockey. Um, it was a really cool experience and, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd say it was an experience of a lifetime and it led to a great opportunity that I'm that I am in now. So Riley, how would a Canadian university hockey team fare against, say, an NCAA team? Your coach has an NCAA background with Bermidji State, and he said the top four teams from Canada West 
would more than hold their own against NCAA teams here in Michigan, the University of Michigan. They have a lot of high-end stars. They've had stars like Luke Hughes, Maddie Beneers, Owen Power. Your Mount Royal team, just this past year, you had 15 players from the WHL, so a strong team there as well. How would they compare, and what would that game look like? Pretty even for the most part? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I think it would be pretty close. I mean, they those NCAA teams get a lot of hype because I I feel in their organizations, they're bigger schools, they have a lot more money, they have they have the nice rinks, nice dressing rooms. They get a lot of fans and that sort of thing. And um, with university hockey, you might not see the the big fancy rinks, the big crowds and things like that. But to be honest, mm -hmm. I, I don't know a whole lot about the NCAA, but I but I do know within Canadian uh, University, it, it's a hell of a good organization and there is um, strong competition and it's it's a very well uh, ran um, hockey league, I guess you could say. Riley, your coach, Bert Gilling, also talked about your skill development. Even in that COVID year, Bert Gilling was telling his coaching staff that we really need to work with our players and prepare players like yourself, possibly, for jobs down the road so you don't get overwhelmed when you get these chances, not necessarily in the NHL, but maybe in the ECHL or the AHL. Where did you see the most improvement? Because Bert Gilling said there was a huge leap in the amount of time you spent skating, shooting, off ice, developing on the ice. It does promote, doesn't it, skill development for players who maybe um, are late bloomers or have a chance to develop a little bit later in their um, hockey careers. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, I mean, I say I would, I would probably say I owe a lot to Bert Gilling as he's done a very good job at preparing players to move on in the future. Mm -hmm. um, within Canadian university hockey, like most people know, you only play games on weekends, Friday, Saturdays. So um, you do have a lot of time during the week, four or five days a week, potentially practicing and um, getting good workouts in. Um, you you do get to focus on a lot of aspects of your game with the practicing to make it worth it when you play games. And um, so I, I think for me, I really just tried to take advantage of that on and off the ice where you could get really good workouts in while working on um, certain aspects of your game, whether that is your shot or your stick handling or mm -hmm. um, situational awareness in hockey games, whether that's the defensive zone or um, forecheck, things like that, breakout, stuff like that too. So um, I think it really does prepare you for what's to come. Riley, how has that preparation helped you uh, with Grand Rapids? Again, a small sample size. Uh, Bert was saying he has watched some of the games and he's seen that you're back in position. You seem comfortable. How would you describe your game for, for those who will be keeping an eye on Grand Rapids and wondering a bit more about Riley Sawchuk, who will be with the team again next year. Like, what what is your game like? You're 5'11, 185, a right-handed centerman. How do you see your game maybe developing under Ben Simon and his staff there? I think in terms of at Mount Royal uh, University with Bert there, um, I think he really stressed the fact of being a strong two-way player where I'm where I'm good in the offensive zone and in the defensive zone. Mm -hmm. And uh I, I've always kind of seen myself as as a playmaker, goal scorer type player. But in my recent years, I've I've really started to develop the fact of 
um, focusing on the D zone and um, taking care of that area where um, that will then provide offense for me. And in, in terms of being at Mount Royal in that league, I, I would try my best to be a physical player, but um, mm-hmm. as most know, you can't, you can't actually fight in that league or anything. So I, I wouldn't really classify myself as a fighter. However, um, I would do anything for my teammates, um, whether I, I know them really well or not. Um, and, and I know it's part of the game and something that could potentially um, move me up to the ne- next level. So um when it when it comes to Grand Rapids here, I I think just showing my two way game, playing hard, um, mm-hmm. finishing every check um, while making plays and and hopefully um, scoring some goals to help the team win. Um, just honestly, anything to help the team win, um, whether that be having to fight in this league, I, I'd be willing to do it one hundred percent. And uh, just just basically playing the right way. And um, when I was at Mount Royal, I was I was obviously um, on the power play, which I, which I really enjoyed. And um, I mean, hopefully get an opportunity here eventually. I know I'll have to work for it, but um, I could see myself um, moving into a role like that. But um, in terms of penalty kill as well, I I really enjoy penalty kill and um, Mm -hmm. find you can actually create a lot of offense from the penalty kill, which is um, unique, but uh so I, I could see myself doing that as well, but um, I, I just want to embrace any role I'm given and um, just do it to, to the best of my abilities. Riley, thanks for your time so far on the podcast. Just a couple of more questions. I was saying earlier in the history of the NHL, 169 players from Canadian universities have played in the NHL, 19 with the wings, as I said, from the outset. And in the NHL today, there's three notable players in the league. There's Logan Thompson. He played for Brock. He's a rookie of the year candidate in Las Vegas. There's also two University of Alberta players, Derek Ryan of the Oilers and Luke Philp of the Blackhawks. So you know the odds are long, but how do you feel about these success stories? And Mount Royal is a relatively new program since about 10 years ago. How how do you feel about potentially making the that step as well? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, it was a little hard on a lot of people when it came to that COVID year after my WHL season. Mm-hmm. Um, I Obviously, I think I was originally a little upset when I came out of the WHL and had to had to go to school as every hockey player's dream is to sign an NHL contract and go straight to the NHL or AHL or whatever it may be. But um, I think, I think in terms of going to school, I think I've learned a lot about my game and myself in general. And I think it really prepared me to actually move on to this next step, which, which may make me a late bloomer, but, um, signing this contract really just gave me the hope that the dream isn't over and there still is hope to make the NHL. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think there's for sure a possibility. I know there's going to be a lot of work ahead to be put into it, but um, I, I think it for sure could be possible. And finally, we talked about the Derek Ryans, the Luke Phillips, and you said you want to put the hard work in and you're just getting yourself settled right now. There's uh, a playoff race with Grand Rapids, six points out of the final playoff race and and a weekend series against the Iowa Wild. There's so many things that you're learning. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the Canadian Hockey League and Burt Gilling? It's certainly, like you said, you may not have been really happy coming off that 
Edmonton year with Kosa's rookie season. They went on to the Memorial Cup. That team got better and better. But it does sound like you were able to develop and maybe become one of these players that can find a particular role at the NHL level. What are your thoughts, your final thoughts on that, Riley? Yeah, you know, honestly, I I think I want to give a big shout out to Bert on this. I think we, Good. over the couple of years I was there, we we created a close relationship that um, uh, was, was very nice. And uh, when it came to even last year getting um, a different type of offer, um, actually sitting down with him and having conversations and taking his knowledge on um, what I should do and um, pros and cons of different contracts and things like that. I think he gave me some great advice and um, in taking that ended up staying another year that uh, uh, turned out to be another uh, great year in, in terms of my, my personal game and stuff like that. And I, I think just in his regards, it, it really did develop me to get to the point where I think I am ready to move on and, and play into a bigger, bigger league and role. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I think I just want to give him a big shout out for that. And um, I, I just look forward to my opportunity here. Riley, thanks again for talking to us on the podcast today about your hockey journey from Edmonton to Mount Royal and Calgary to the Griffins in Grand Rapids. All the best with your new opportunity there in the AHL. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. Our thanks again to Riley Sachek for joining us on the podcast today. And now let's hear from Steve Eiserman again, this time answering a question from Will Birchfield of 97 won the ticket asking about who's better, the Wings, Sabres, or Senators. Hey, Steve, when you look at this, the star power across this division, especially the young stars in Ottawa and Buffalo, does it heighten your urgency to try and find stars that can that can measure up with those teams? And do you feel like you have those players within or are those players yet to be acquired? Well, I like the nucleus that we have. Um, I look at Ottawa and Buffalo, as you mentioned, and in all honesty, I think they're ahead of us uh, with their group. Now, having said that, they've probably been drafting uh, higher and longer than we have. Uh, so I expect them to be ahead of us. Uh, it doesn't necessarily heighten my urgency because like I, I just can't come up with first round picks. I can't come up with star players. Um, you know, we need these picks uh, uh, to either try and trade for a star player, which it just doesn't happen that often, or, or you know, we got to continue to draft and, and regardless of where we're picking, find a player um, um, who who is an impact guy, regardless of even you know not every first rounder, not every second rounder. But you got to find some guys. You look at the Boston Bruins today. David Pasternak was a late first-round pick. He's one of the best players in the league. Brad Marchant, uh, if I recall, was a third or fourth-round pick. I, I can't really remember. He's one of the best players in the league. Uh, um, so it, you don't necessarily have to pick uh, first or second overall. we got to find players. Ted, what did you make of those comments that the Sabres and Senators – are further ahead in their rebuilds, partly, Eisenman said, because of all their high draft picks year after year. The Sabres have missed the playoffs an incredible 11 years in a row, but they 
got Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin first overall. The Senators have missed the playoffs five straight years, but how good does Tim Stutzel look now over Lucas Raymond? The Wings that year had the worst record, but dropped to fourth in the lottery. If the Wings had the first pick overall, Ted, don't you think they would have taken Stutzel over Alexi Lafreniere, Quinton Byfield, and Raymond? How about the Atlantic Division then, Ted? Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. Could this Wings playoff drought, probably at seven years this year, can it go on, say, eight, nine, even ten years? Isn't that something, Mark? But I think you definitely, it's possible as we sit mm-hmm. here today. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think tra- uh, Toronto's definitely not going to go anywhere for the next few years. they got a good, solid roster. It seems the Bruins, even if some of those guys retire, there's still a good competitive base there. And they just seem to reload. They really do. Uh, Tampa, I mean, Tampa's not going to go in. It's, their nucleus is getting older, but mm-hmm. no, it's like, but it, it was like Eiserman said today. I mean, Buff, you got to give Buffalo and Ottawa a lot of credit. They're, you know, yeah, that's, there's without a question, they've been drafting up high for a long time, but both those, I mean, on the ice, both those teams are looking pretty good right now and it's probably going to get better here in the next couple of years and like you mentioned montreal is the factor yes. probably down mm-hmm. the line i mean they've, they've had a lot of injuries the last couple of years but let's see how the draft transpires this year they could load up with some more good solid players and it's a very i mean the whole league is competitive let's face it but no it's a very tough division you can see where the Red Wings are going to have a difficult time moving up. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these players, some a lot of these draft picks are going to have to come through. And, well, I mean, let's see if that happens or not. Finally, let's hear from Wings captain Dylan Larkin, who finally signed that eight-year contract extension for nearly $70 million, a salary cap hit of $8.7 million per season. That's front-loaded, by the way, with $10 million the first year, then $11 million, $10 million, three years at $8 million, and then the last two years at seven five and $7.1. He also has a full no-trade clause for the first five years, then a partial no-trade clause. The final three years, only 10 teams he can be traded to during that time here he is talking about what he's most proud of about this new deal i'm most proud of uh how you know there's been some some hard times and today one of them you know i i think uh i've never really lashed out or came to you guys and demanded something that uh i felt I want it. I, I feel through all the ups and downs, I've, I've tried to, to handle with class and, and doing it the right way. And, uh, you know, I think in the future, um, you know, you can, I can feel it this year that, uh, you know, I really want to be able to lead this team and in, in, into the playoffs and long playoff runs. And you need help with that. And I feel like there's, there's help uh, in our room and uh, coming along the way. So, I'm really, uh, really excited for that. So, Ted, what did you make of Larkin's contract? Why did it take so long? And what will the team be like with Larkin these final 21 games? Steve Eisenman said Simon Edvinson may or may not be recalled. That's not an automatic decision. There's going to be a lot of opportunities with Bertuzzi and Ronick gone 
and with Michael Rasmussen possibly out for the rest of the season, do you think Larkin will be addressing the media with more good news than bad news in these last six weeks? Well, like we mentioned before, Mark, there, there are winnable games here. I mean, they mm-hmm. play Chicago, they play Philadelphia twice, like we said. There's games with Nashville and a couple games with St. Louis. Both those games are rebuilding. Teams are rebuilding. So there are some winnable games. I think this roster is still competitive. Um, I'm, I mean, I don't think anybody was surprised that Larkin resigned. I think it was expected. If anything, I'd, I've always, I was always kind of led to believe that it was going to happen later, you know, right before July mm-hmm. 1st when the free agency hits. The number, 8.7, I think, fair. I was a, I was a little surprised. I think the Wings were going to fir- stay firm to being a little closer to $8 million, but we saw concert contracts like Bo Horvat got and comparable players like that, Matt Parcell. Mm-hmm. You could see where, you know, Larkin's camp probably it was justified in asking for something along those lines. So it's a good deal for both sides, though. You know he wasn't going to go anywhere. He is a he is a really good captain. He's a good face of the franchise. And he's develop, mm-hmm. developing and is developed into a pretty good two-way player. So uh, it's it's a good deal for the Red Wings and a good guy a good guy to build around for sure. And that's a wrap for episode 86 of our Detroit News Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at detroitnews.com as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again everyone for listening, rating and reviewing these podcasts. <laughs>